91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. KBCS reporter Kevin Penry recently interviewed Audrey Badke, Director of Programs and Co-Founder of REST, which stands for Real Escape from the Sex Trade. Badke describes the programs at REST as to assist and empower survivors, and they also operate REST homes in King County for the survivors of trafficking. Now, how long ago was it that you formed REST? 2009. Okay. And what inspired you to do that? So I have a background in working with homeless youth. Mm -hmm. So at that time I was working, and the language has changed significantly. So at that time I was working with homeless youth and what we called women in prostitution. We didn't even have an understanding of what trafficking was because that language hadn't been introduced yet. And so I always had a number of young folks that I was working with that had a pimp or had a trafficker and were trading sex. We also knew of a lot of homeless youth that were trading sex in order to survive, to be able to have food or a place to stay. Um, But we didn't have the understanding of how widespread this issue was. Um, And what we found is for our clients that were really involved in the sex trade, they struggled to access services. They struggled to be able to identify their goals, um, be able to work towards them um, because there was so much control over their lives. And so we didn't have a way to engage them meaningfully. And so we wanted to be able to have um, services that were tailored to the individuals who were experiencing this. Because the other thing that we found is that people who are involved in the sex trade experience a lot of interpersonal trauma. And when you experience interpersonal trauma, you also pick up a lot of survival skills that make it hard to engage in mainstream services. So when we did have folks involved in the sex trade who were going to shelters or trying to engage with DSHS, um, they would often get kicked out or they would get turned away because they didn't know how to engage with these services in order to get their needs met. Or they had such strong trauma responses that they weren't able to follow all the rules or all the protocols in programs that honestly were pretty triggering to them. So some of the programs and the, and the, you talk about services, can you give me an example of what, what might be a service that could be very helpful to someone who is a survivor of sex trafficking? Absolutely. Housing is the number one, right? If I'm involved in the sex trade, then that means that that is my income. That is my livelihood. And if I decide that I'm going to walk away from the sex trade, then that means I'm walking away from my income. And oftentimes that means the opportunity to provide for myself. And the number one um, need that we all have is a place to live. Um, Now, if I have a trafficker, that makes it even more complicated because when I'm walking away, I'm usually just walking away with the clothes on my back if I'm lucky. And so being able to have a landing place is absolutely critical. So emergency shelter is one example of a critical need that survivors have. What are some of the the factors that will push someone into that situation? And then some of the things that come to mind is, you know, someone I've talked to some that were maybe thrown out of their house as a teenager and then they wind up on the street. But but what are some of the 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 I guess circumstances that that create a situation where they might wind up being more vulnerable to a a trafficker? 
Yep. So that word that you used is the perfect word to describe this, that the more vulnerable someone is in our society, the more likely they are to be exploited in the sex trade. So um, in our society, that does mean sexual abuse. Um, that means childhood abuse. Um, that means poverty, um, mental health issues, developmental delays. In our society, it also means being an immigrant, being LGBTQ, um, racial disparities, and even someone that is looking for love or looking for value or power. Um, having those needs that are not being met makes someone more likely to be involved in the sex trade. Now, recently there was a story, I mean, just one of horrible stories that you hear about all the time, I guess, unfortunately, about, a, I think it happened in California, and there were three people murdered, like two grandparents and a mom, and there was a 15-year-old uh, teenage girl who I guess had met somebody online, and this guy showed up who happened to be in law enforcement, ironically, and wound up murdering the family, and then I think the girl survived, but initially that, there was that online uh, connection. And maybe you could just talk about the, the dangers of, of online uh, trafficking, or at least trafficking that starts online. Yeah. So I'm going to even back it up to say one of the most haunting moments that I had was meeting a man who had been a pimp. And he said, wherever your kids are at, that's where I'm going to be. So at the time that I had met him, those places were the mall, the schools, the after-school care. But nowadays, where are kids at? online. And online makes it a lot easier to build a relationship, build that rapport, um, really build that trust that makes somebody want to respond to you, um, which makes it easier then to exploit them once you have that. Because um, one of the things that we also know about traffickers is that they absolutely use violence to keep someone loyal. But a lot of times they use love, which is even more powerful and enticing to keep somebody active and engaged with them and doing what they're forcing them to do. And what motivates people to even be a trafficker? Do you have any insight into that? Or are they like sociopaths or, or, I mean, whatever you can offer up. Yeah. So I will say I have seen a number of men. I've only known men as traffickers who I've gotten to know who walked away from that and were able to have honest conversations. And um, they are human beings who are also trying to survive. Uh, one of the things that's often said in the sex trade is you either pimp or get pimped. And if I'm growing up in poverty and my uncle's a pimp and my daddy's a pimp, there's a good chance that's going to be what is taught to me. And for a lot of men in particular, there may not be opportunities to be able to make money other ways. And so poverty is absolutely a driving factor for some men to be involved. Um, there's also a lot of organized crime, and there's a lot of parents that are trafficking kids, um, adults as well. Um, but in particular, we see this with kids. And so that is a little bit different where there is much more of this um, need for power, this need for control, this need for bravado. And depending on how a person gets involved and what their experience looks like, there can be different reasons why they stay. Um, but I do think that traffickers also have the opportunity to change their lives. I have met several who have wanted to do so, and I've met several who have. Um, they are human beings as well. 
Um, but like any of us, the more that we taste power, the more that we taste control, um, the more we get that thousand dollars in our pocket in this easy manner, the easier it is to go back to that and the harder it is to walk away and go work a minimum wage job or live a normal life. Wow. Very well put. I mean, that's very enlightening. And and I really appreciate you, I guess, um, putting some depth into just understanding the way people think, you know, the way the trafficker thinks, because I think, you know, so often we hear these stories, but we don't know what motivated, you know, a criminal to act in a particular way, uh, unless you wind up, you know, watching a documentary or something like that. And then you, you get some insight. On, a, on an individual basis, say you know somebody who is a survivor of trafficking. Now they're out of the life and they're trying to move forward with their lives. I think sometimes people will think, well, now that they're out of the life and they have a place to stay, that it's all good. They don't have to worry about those people anymore. What are some of the challenges that they face once they are out of the trafficking situation? Yeah, the first challenge is that mental stability. And being involved in the sex trade is exhausting and incredibly difficult on your mental health. I remember listening to two women talk to one another once when one of them said, it's not that you're crazy, but it's that you've been through crazy things. And being involved in the sex trade is incredibly traumatic. Our clients regularly talk about being raped or being robbed, regularly talk about having somebody come build their trust and then use that to exploit them. And so after you've had that experience, and let's just say you've had that experience a hundred times in a hundred days, <laughs> um, not to mention having sex with people that you don't feel safe with or want to be with, and then having to give that money to somebody else in order for your own survival, um, which is often then something that can happen five, 10 times in a day. So when you add all that trauma together, even when you walk away from it, you have to deal with the memories. You have to deal with the things that you did that you didn't want to do. You have to deal with the things that have been done to you. <laughs> and you have to find a way to feel safe, even though for most of our clients, they know their trafficker is still out there. Or even if their trafficker is in jail, they know that trafficker may not be giving up on them yet. And so even if um, a person is in a place where they're physically safe, that doesn't mean that mentally they feel safe. And there is this possibility that their safety is still compromised because there are still people out there that are targeting them. Um, I'll just give you one example that will put chills to your bones, which is there are websites where traffickers will post pictures of the people they own. And they will share this with one another so that if their girl goes to Miami, then they've got a network of pimps that are in Miami that are watching out for that girl. Or um, I know of a gal that was in one state and she um, joined the military to relocate to another state. And as soon as she arrived, there were people who knew her trafficker at the past place that met her at her workplace. So there can be this really strong network that keeps a person entwined, even when they are making these choices to be able to leave. Wow. Okay. That's all I can say is, wow. I mean, it's it's shocking, but I guess it isn't. Uh, the rest home. Tell me about that, because I think, there are there two of them? We now have two houses. Yes. So we are thrilled because we have had one house um, since 2011. 
And this new one we just opened um, this past month. And what housing does is it provides that landing space, right? The whole idea of rest is to create spaces where a person can slow down, breathe, determine what they need to feel safe, and then start to build that life that feels safe. Um, and it's incredibly hard to do that if you're also trying to make money, pay your rent, take care of your kids, and do everything that it takes to function on a daily basis. So we're excited to have this house open. It is a place where people can live independently. So we don't have staff that are there on site, but they do have the support of staff. Um, they have an advocate, they have a housing specialist, they have a survivor engagement specialist who's someone who has been there themselves. And then they're able to identify what's important to me now. Um, a lot of times when somebody moves into our houses, they just need time to sleep. And then a lot of times they need the opportunity to begin to build healthy relationships and to be, be able to determine how they use their time. And so the rest house provides that landing space and that time for someone to be able to breathe before they have to figure out how to do day-to-day -day life in this very fast-paced world. Last question is, do you think there's enough attention given to this issue of trafficking? in the media or just in the general public? There is a lot of misinformation out there that I think makes it very difficult for us to understand what it actually is. And I do not think we pay enough attention to it because we don't understand how incredibly traumatic it is. It is such a difficult experience for somebody to endure and then recover from that it should be given more attention than something that may not be quite as detrimental. Um, I would argue that as long as this is prevalent in our communities, there needs to be more awareness of it so we can understand how it affects everyone that's involved. And I'll just note, so far today, we've talked about people who are being exploited. We've talked about the people who are um, trafficking, but we haven't talked about the people who are purchasing sex. And that is also somebody who is involved in this. And that person's community is also involved in this. And as long as this is a part of our society, then yes, I do think there needs to be more attention drawn to it because we often don't understand the effects that it has to such a deep level because we look away from it or we pretend that it's something different than what it is. That was Audrey Badkey, Director of Programs and Co-Founder of REST, Real Escape from the Sex Trade, speaking with KBCS's Kevin Henry. For more information about REST, go to IWantRest.com. Other signs that someone is being trafficked include large groups of people living in cramped quarters, sometimes in squalor, and youth and adults who are nervous and extremely quiet in public when they are accompanied by another adult. If you suspect that a person is being trafficked, call the national hotline at 888-373-7888 or via text at 233-733 or by visiting the website wa-trafficking-help.org. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.